This is a podcast from Mercury International. Andrew Rathbone interviews Richard Hyam, International Sector Head, Financial and Professional Services, about why it's so important to select the right relationships to focus on. Richard, we hear a lot about segmentation and selection within the area of relationship management. What are, what are your thoughts? I think this is one of the most important aspects of relationship management, the whole area of segmentation. I believe the key issue is to do less, but to do it better. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting concept, Richard, but how do you go about achieving that in reality? Well, before I answer that, I'd really like to pick up on why I believe it's so important, because it's easy to get into this process without realising why we're doing it. And the reason that we need to be more selective is that if we want to deepen and broaden the relationships we're involved in, particularly in the current climate, we need to focus more. In the days when there was great fluidity, there was no constraint on capital. Really, if you didn't win with one person, you could just move on to the next one. I understand, yeah. Those days, for the moment, are gone. Arguably, they always should have been gone. Because for most financial institutions, there is huge opportunity being wasted because we're not going deep enough into the relationships. Whether people are calling it product density or product penetration or cross-selling, We can't do that if we're trying to do it in too many places. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago and they work on a model of five accounts that they, mature accounts that they work on, five development accounts and five new business accounts. And on reflection, they were saying the 555 model, even that is too much for them. Now, these were very, very big accounts global accounts sure and their view was it maybe needs to be a 333 model Um, going back some time uh, I remember a sales manager for a life assurance company telling me Richard we're really seriously committed to this key account management thing we really want to build relationship none of my people are going to have more than 60 relationships to look at from now on (laughs) It's just not possible. <laughs> it was fully committed to managing 60 special relationships then, Richard. Well, we worked it through together. Where we said, well, there are about three people in each relationship and uh, you've got 210 working days in the year and it was going to be about a meeting a year for each of them. So uh, it's that not is, too clever. That is a tall order. Yeah. So if I was trying to get my kind of 60 possibles down to this manageable number, what sort of criteria do you think I should be thinking about in order to, uh, to make that selection? Well, that's really interesting, Andrew. And when we at Mercury did our first key account management survey, 560 different customers, what we looked at was how do people select? And virtually everybody looked at income or revenue, either actual or potential. But when we began to look at profitability, there was a huge gap between the best and the rest. 
and far more of the best focused on things like economic profit and the whole ability to drive real results out of those relationships. So that was the first differentiator we saw. And uh, very interesting to see how some of the people that we're working with have segmented their customers almost entirely on the ability of a sector or a group of customers to furnish economic profit and balancing that, of course, with uh, constraints on capital. Of course. The, uh, the thing that came after that, which was very interesting, was that the best use far more soft criteria. And by soft criteria, we mean things like, is there a strategic fit? Does this organisation really want to partner with its suppliers or is it transactional? Do they have the kind of profile that would make other people sit up when we mention we work with so-and-so or so-and-so? And one of the differentiators between the best and the rest seems to be using these soft, multifaceted criteria as well as profit and, of course, size as well. So it's in the blend of the kind of more objective measures but also some more subjective kind of softer measures as you describe them that yields truly useful criteria. Yeah, absolutely. And crucially, and we see this being missed very often, are the selection criteria in line with the company's strategy. Indeed, absolutely. However, from a practical point of view though, one of the things that I hear is people saying, well, Andrew, it's obvious who our, uh, who our key accounts are. Everybody knows it's a kind of tacit understanding. What's your response to that sort of, uh, sort of thinking, Richard? Well, my experience is exactly the opposite. And when people say that to me, I put them to the test. And I say to a group of 20 people, OK, write down your top 10 accounts. And I usually get between 100 and 150 names. And I should be getting 10. It, yep. it just does not happen. People think in their heads that there's a common understanding about this. But in reality, there's not. And usually a fight breaks out. Because people are saying, oh, you can't call them a significant relationship. And, oh, they don't count. And they're lousy. And they're great. And it's all on different uh, different bases. Yeah, I understand. So if we have kind of won the sort of certainly the hearts and minds of people and saying, yes, we should select. And we now have some criteria to select by. How do they actually go about that in practice? Well, in a number of different ways. But without doubt, the most effective way that we see is where people identify what the criteria are, agree on those criteria, and then compare the portfolio of customers, whether it's your individual portfolio or a global or national portfolio, compare that with the criteria. So the starting point has to be what makes a good relationship for us. And as we said, that could be the hard and the soft criteria. And then to match those customers, those clients, against those criteria and see what comes out. They may then need to calibrate it and adapt and adjust the the criteria or the measures. It's not, and it shouldn't be, a long process. Typically, we'd spend half a day with a management team trying to work out what the criteria are. Yes. Then people going to measure their customers against that, their clients against that, and then begin to deduce from that what's the way forward. A couple of words of warning. Some people 
simply look at the selection criteria, what makes somebody attractive to us. Some people, and we're seeing this increasingly effective, put a, a double-sided two axes on this discussion. Oh, okay. Both attractiveness and difficulty, or attractiveness and closeness of existing relationship. So what we're looking to do is to compare our behaviour with the most attractive customers with whom we have the strongest relationship. Well, we need to put good resource there. But with one life assurer earlier this year, we were working on, well, what are the red accounts, the ones that are highly attractive, but with whom either we have big entry barriers or we have no relationship. So I think that's really important to do. And is that the question then individual organisation priorities and coming back to kind of strategic objectives? Or is it a question of, well, you know, are we up for these, uh, these, these approaches to these really difficult accounts? I think it's, it's both of those things. Some organisations say, right, we've got resources enough to take our top five accounts. So we're only going to focus on five relationships. That's all we can handle on a global basis. Sure. We'll limit ourselves. Other people would say, no, our strategy requires we have 20. So we've got a resource for that. Yes, I can understand. But together with that goes, and I think the point you've made is absolutely accurate. This particular life assurer, they recognise that their entire reward and management and KPI structure was geared towards getting the most out of existing strong relationships. And there was huge resistance to focusing on the non-performing attractive relationships. And they had to really rethink, well, who's going to do it? How are we going to reward them? How are we going to change some of the drivers that we've got in our business? Because a lot of people saying, well, what's in it for me? You're well, asking me this difficult task, but, but why should I? Literally that. I mean, I had a room full of people and somebody said, but Richard, I'm not paid to do this. Why should I do it? Yeah. It's going to take me 12 months to develop this and I'm being measured quarter by quarter. So the whole area of, of selection drives immense number of questions. Okay, which, which I guess sort of brings us to neatly to, what are the things that can go wrong here? What are the things that organisations and teams of people should look to avoid? And what are the absolute must-dos when it comes to selection within relationship management? The starting point, I believe, has to be that this is entirely connected to strategy. So if there's no sense in which the senior management is committed to this, it's not going to work. I remember working with a firm of actuaries and their chief executive. So Richard, that brings us quite neatly to uh, the pitfalls of selection within relationship management. What are the things that people must avoid and what are the must-dos when it comes to this topic? Well, the first must-do, I believe, is that senior management need to be committed and this needs to be seen as part of the strategy. We were working with a firm of consulting actuaries who were looking to identify how to improve the way they worked with their top, to initially 10 UK accounts. And, sorry, can we... So Richard, that brings us neatly to the pitfalls of selection. Uh, what are the things that, that organisations must really take seriously and what are some of the things they should be aiming to avoid? I think the first thing is making sure the senior management commitment. This is a strategic initiative. It has to fit with the way the business is going. 
some time ago we initiated a strategic account development project with a firm of consulting actuaries. Now, as you can imagine, they're pretty analytical about the way that they're working on this. But I absolutely remember their chief executive talking to the room of proposed uh, relationship managers who are going to look after their top relationships. And he said, this initiative is really important for our business. If anybody stands in your way, tell me and I will deal with it. This project is bigger than any ego in our business. Wow. And that, you could see people flourish and grow when they were told this. So I think that's, that's crucial. The biggest single mistake that I see is that people try and do this in too many places at once. Right. This particular firm said, right, we'll set out with 10. And I encouraged them just to pile up with five. So you can build up to 10. Their goal was to have 100 strategic relationships nominated by the end of the year. And I said to them, I think you're being far too ambitious. Right. They cut it back to 30. They ended up with 12. Those 12 generated an enormous increase in business. And that's what this is about. Different firm, different organization, life assurance. I was talking to somebody who I'd first worked with 10 years ago. And we were reflecting back on the relationship management sure. program we'd done together. And he was now a, he's now a senior manager at the top of his business. But at the time, been a relationship manager. And he reflected back and said, when I came on the program, I focused on a particular intermediary that at that time was generating one million pounds of gross written premium a year. I felt it had potential, but I wasn't getting at that potential. I really focused our efforts on it following that program. Three years later, it was generating 24 million pounds of gross written premium. His instincts were fairly secure on that. Well, event. absolutely. And we talked about why it had happened. And there were all sorts of good things that had gone on and lots of hard work. But what he really said was the thing that really made the difference was that he'd focused on it. And we started off talking about doing less and doing it better. And Mark's story there is a classic explanation about why, when it comes to relationship management, doing it less, but doing it better, is a really good way of working. You've been listening to a podcast from Mercury International. If you'd like to discuss any of these issues with Richard or Andrew, please call Claire Newton on plus four four for the UK one nine three two eight four four eight five five.